Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. I've been running for a few years now and have the privilege of meeting many incredible runners on my travels all across the country. This podcast is intended to share those amazing conversations. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome back. I am here in Austin, Texas with Amelia Boone. Amelia, thanks for joining today. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy we can finally do this. For sure. What's this like the 14th time we've tried to I know. tried to meet up? <laughs> I know. <It's> so <laughs> you say, oh, I'm going to be in the Bay Area. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm not right now. I'm flying out exactly as you're coming in. Well, I always right thought you've been avoiding me. So I guess here we are, <laughs> proof that that's not the case. So Very true. Thanks for, uh, thanks for chatting today. Absolutely. You're wearing an incredible flamingo yeah, suit. Yeah, this it's- is the only time that I wish that this podcast had a, like a YouTube component to it because I am in a gooder flamingo suit right now. <laughs> we'll take a photo and show the fans. <laughs> Here we go. So first question, we'll kick it off with a tough one. Who is Amelia Boone? Oh, God. <laughs> how do I describe myself? Yeah, that's, that's the really million hard. dollar question. I know. Well, it's, it's funny because people always say, they're like, how do you introduce yourself? Do you say that you're an attorney? Do you say that you're an athlete? And I go, it really depends on who I'm introducing myself to. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess I always say I'm like, I am an attorney and then I um, do stupid races on the side. <laughs> um, but <laughs> that's me. Legal in a disclaimer. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> so stupid races on the side. Um, why? Why? It's a million dollar question, right? I think it is kind of the thing that any athlete is like, why do we do what we do? Um and, you know, I, I think I got, I got into, so, I mean, I started, I, I got into obstacle racing, um, you know, back, back when it first started 10 years ago, um, which feels like forever ago, but it's clearly a 10 it's your challenge. Right. God. <laughs> um, and, um, and I think it was for me at that time, you know, I was at, I was a first year associate at a law firm and I was like, what do I do now? You know, I'd done everything in life. Like I was like graduating up the ranks of, of going to law school and then getting the best firm. And then I looked around and I was like, okay, what's the next challenge? Um, so I kind of found this athletic outlet side of me and then I happened to be pretty good at it. (laughs) And so, and then I kept doing it. Cool. So that's the start. Um, and in that time you've run some very long distances. You just crossed a hundred miles for the first time Mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago. What was it like? What was that like going that far on your feet? Yeah, that was interesting for me because people had always assumed that I had run like a hundred miler before. And I go, no, I've run, I've run 24 hour races. They were all, but they all had like obstacles. So I had run 90 miles with like 300 and something obstacles. um, (laughs) As one does. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And you know, I'd done longer type of like adventure race type of things. So I'd been on my feet for 48, 72 hours. Um, but running the first hundred miles at bigs was kind of, it was kind of strange in a way because it, because of the way the format is with like this so do you want to explain, between. explain that. Yeah. So bigs backyard ultra, you run a 4.16 mile loop every hour on the hour until you drop out. And then there's one person left standing and Maggie clearly won with you know, 250 miles, which is incredible. Um, but so I was the only person on the start line who had never run a hundred miler <laughs> before. And I looked around and I was like, Oh, I'm wh- what am I, why am I even in this race right now? I've never run a hundred miles. Um, but it was kind of, to me, it was very special and it was really cool because by the time you're running for 24 hours with all these people and like going at the same pace. And so you spend a lot of time chatting. And so they all made this like tunnel for me to like cross through when I, when oh, I hit cool. on. Yeah, it was pretty cool because it was just such like a people cheering me on and it was a fun experience. That's awesome. So, so 
what is it? I remember something in your in your Instagram or Twitter bio at some point, like something about, along the lines of like I run crazy long distances and have no toenails, or like <laughs> something like that. So, what is it about like beyond the marathon or beyond the fifty mile that that gets you excited? For me, it's always been about it's the mental challenge, it's the mental component, and the triaging of things going wrong. Um. Where does that come from? Where's the where's the interest from? I think it's what I've always found is that like I'm I pure physical ability I like I'm totally totally impressed by, but for me the just that trying to piece things together when things are going wrong and trying to trying to problem solve and. I don't, maybe a part of it is kind of like what leads me, it attracts me to be an attorney as well is like, like problem solving and fixing those problems. And, and when things are falling apart, like, and how do you, how do you get them back together? Um, and I just, it's that I, I don't, it's just that intangible quality that just kind of draws me in. Um, and it really forces me to use my body and my mind. Um, and so like you have to be on and constantly thinking. And I think that that about long distances and about races where there's like a lot of unknown elements is something that, um, just, it just appeals to me, um, because it is so much more than just running as fast as you can, right. which is a different type of talent, one that I don't have, <laughs> but um, is like extremely impressive in other ways, but one that just doesn't, it doesn't grab me, I think. So the point of this podcast or whatever, what I have in my bio is yeah. exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong and motivated. So is, is discovering your why something you've actively thought about? I mean, I, I feel like you have to have this great reason to decide to run for 24 hours or 48 hours. Is it is it that self-discovery of like, where does my mind go at that time? And I'll preface that by saying like, yeah. I love that answer if that's the answer. I was so excited to run the Grand Canyon because I was like, I've never been in like a super deep hole uh, and seen what happens and right. and so i ran for 38 miles i felt amazing and i was like this isn't sustainable i won't feel good for the whole thing and i can't wait and the last seven miles was like fascinating like where my head went mm -hmm. and how i got out of it so what's what's your why what's the what's the reason that that you keep signing up for these these races it's funny because i think that it actually has morphed over time um, I'll be totally honest. When I first started racing, the it was winning. Yeah. My why was winning, um, and and I don't. I mean, I, I'll take that back. When I like the first few races, it was like pure shits and giggles yeah. and fun exploration. And, and that yeah, like this is so random and new and yay. <laughs> but then I I got caught up in this. Oh well, I'm good at this and I'm winning and. I have to keep running because I have to keep winning. And if I don't win, then no one's going to like me. And like, I'm not going to be relevant. And like, how are people going to love me if I'm not winning? And what's I'm going to disappoint everybody. And so the motivation became, I mean, I, I started to really resent racing too, because it wasn't when I crossed the finish line, it wasn't this pure like elation. Right. It was like a relief of, Oh, thank God I didn't lose. Yeah. Um, and that to me, I mean, was almost enough to make me want to like step back from all of it and step back from the running. And I guess, fortunately, um, getting injured, um, you know, of my string of injuries and things like that, that have kept me sidelined, forced me to actually like reformulate my relationship with it and to kind of understand why I do this. And what I've realized is that it's the experience. It's the memories. It's yeah. why we're out there. It's the strange things that happen in the middle of the night and that, you know, you're experiencing out there with other people who are like going through ups and downs and like puking on the side of the trail. And like, and those are the thing. I mean, it's just, it is to me, like, I think long races, 
you know, 100 Ks, 100 milers, multi-day stuff is kind of almost a microcosm of life yeah. in some ways. And you go through those ups and downs, but you just do it in this like controlled <laughs> environment and like weird in things. In 24 hours. <laughs> in 24 hours when you're like, you know, like puking on the side of the trail and like, you know, eating gels and weird things, everything going on. But it's like this microcosm of life. And I love that. Um, and you see such incredible things out there. You meet such incredible people. And for me, I've realized that it's really just being out there in the arena is what's really important to me. That's and awesome. it's, it's almost not so much about like what happens at the end of the race. Even if I finish the race, yeah. it's more about along what happens the way. along the way. So I've known you for a few years now and yeah. I feel like, and I've told you this, like, I feel like you've changed a lot in the last few years. Hopefully in like, a good way. Yeah. Definitely in a good way. <laughs> and it's been really cool to watch this evolution of like, Amelia must win to mm -hmm. like Amelia must have fun mm -hmm. and like smile and enjoy the process along the way. So what, how did you get there? Cause I think a lot of people struggle with that there. Mm -hmm. And I did too. Like I was so caught up in breaking three hours in the marathon yeah. that like I wore myself out and, and I didn't run a road marathon for two years because I was so tied to the time on the watch and it's not winning. Right. But my measure of success was did my time get faster? Very objective goal that somebody else set that allows me to do something else. Mm -hmm. Winning is a very objective goal that you don't necessarily have all of the control over. You could show up to a race that has the best athletes in the world or you could show up to the race that has you know, no competitors. You don't control that. You do control the process and the journey along the way. So how did you get from from step point A to point B? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that what's funny is I feel like I've done kind of this pendulum thing is that so initially and in, in like Amelia 1.0 version, <laughs> it was win, 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 win. All I do is win. All I do is win <laughs> or or want to win. Um, And then I... And you, you know, were. And, and that's I the was. thing. Yeah. And I was. But I was like miserable. Yeah. I was crying before races. I was so petrified of what was happening. Did that raise any flags at the time? I... Or do you it, think that was normal? I... Because I didn't have like a... Profe not a professional background, but I, I didn't compete in college. You know, I didn't play. I it, it wasn't. You were on I, a I team. I wasn't on a team, so I didn't have any of like that background. Um, so I didn't really know um, if that was normal or not. But I I kept thinking that it would change eventually. Um, I kept thinking like, oh no no no, like eventually like. But I remember thinking that I can't wait to like win a race and then just hang my hat up and walk away. Cause I remember after winning world's toughest matter for the third time in 2015, I told myself, I'm like, maybe I should just retire and go out on top. And then I don't ever have to ever have the pressure of winning again and just be a huge weight off. Um, and then what happened was then I was training then for Western States and I ended up with a stress fracture in my femur and then ended up right after that with a stress fracture in my sacrum. And I was sidelined for a good nine months. And so what happened was I then like pendulum swung to Amelia 2.0 was like, I don't care about any type of <laughs> I results. Just run. I just want to run. I just, and it was this entire race happy and I'm just for fun. And so I like overcorrected, I think. Um, and then in this past year or so, I've kind of realized that I can find this happy balance in this medium where I can still want, I just, I have a competitive fire. Good. Like I do. Cool. And I, and I want to, I, I still want to win. I still want to do well. I still want to compete and go hard. But I recognize that it's not so much about that objective, that it's more about that like value of challenge for me and that in finding those challenges and going after them, but then realizing when I fall short of what those goals may be, you know, quote unquote, that that's fine you know? Um, and so it has been kind of this learning process for me where I'm like swinging back and forth from extremes. And now I, I feel like I'm settling into this kind of happy middle. Um, but we'll see. Cool. Do you feel like people need to hit, would, I mean, would you call that rock bottom? I think it's a rock bottom in like a, in a certain type of way in that it's, where you, I think that where you're completely disillusioned with things when you like want like to walk down. away and yeah. you're broken down and just, and you need a change. Um, and I think for me, it was more that I didn't, 
I never wanted to completely like walk away from sport. Um, it was just, I needed a different outlet. I needed to do something besides obstacle racing. And that's what initially I was like, Oh, I can go run trail races, you know, and people don't know me and I can do this in like a, in a different way and find a different challenge. And I think that injects new life into what you're doing, you know, gives you fresh perspective. Who are some of your mentors as you transitioned onto the trails? You know, I have to say, I have to, I, I don't think I give her as much credit as I should, but, um, when I moved to the Bay area, Devin Yanko reached out to me and like took me under her wing and like, I remember she's the best. She is amazing. And I love her to death. And, um, I, you know, I went up to, up to Marin and, and, and ran with her and I was like, Holy crap. She's really fast. And I can't, (laughs) uh, um, and I think she was really like kind of the first person in the trail community to kind of like, welcome me in. And then we ended up running Sean O'Brien together in 2016. Um, and by together, I mean, she ran like 40 minutes ahead of me. <laughs> um, but, and I, that was really, really meaningful to me. And then it was kind of like slowly then introducing to other people. Um, and then our, our coach, mutual coach, David, uh, Roche, like I literally ran into him on the trails, um, in where we live in San Jose and Rancho San Antonio. And so, and that's how I connected with him. And then, I think that just, it was a very welcoming environment to me. Um, and I really appreciated that. Cool. Let's talk about the year you've had in 2019. That was a doozy. It was a doozy, <laughs> wasn't it? In a different it? kind of way, yeah. So we talked, we started talking about, or you shared, you shared with me mm-hmm. probably in January, mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year, that you were seeking some help. Mm-hmm. And... Um, let's talk about that. Yeah, you and and you were actually one of the few I didn't tell that many people. I told very few people what I was doing and where I was going. Um, and I and I really appreciate that you held that in confidence for a very long time. So, um, until I was ready to tell the broader world. But yeah, you know, I as many listeners may know, um, I I recently spoke about how I I was diagnosed with anorexia when I was 15 um, and or 16, I guess yeah, sometime around that. Yeah. Sometime around that. <laughs> I was like, like how old am I? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's been something that has kind of been ebbing and flowing in terms of how I've been dealing with it um, for the past 20 years. Um, and then finally, I think I reached a point where I was just kind of tired of it still being a monkey on my back is what I called it. Um, what was the breaking point? I had a few breaking points. Um, and I don't think you have to hit rock bottom to like seek treatment. Um, and, but it was kind of a slow burn. I mean, there definitely the multiple stress fractures were a huge warning flag to me that there was something going on in my body that I was not feeding it properly and that things were breaking down. Um, having the, calcaneal stress fracture like two weeks before Barkley this year was definitely a low point. At that point, I had actually already, I was already going into treatment. Um, I was, my plan was to run Barkley and then go and then go into treatment. And this just was a signal that, okay, this is the right decision, Amelia. This is the right decision. (laughs) Okay. Universe. I get it. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I, you can hit me over the head one more time. I got it. Um, but point taken. Yeah. Honestly, it was more, I remember the holidays last year and being a complete basket case around my family and around food and being, and not being able to enjoy what was going on. Um, and it was more that there were things in, in a relationship that ended and knowing that like, I couldn't even go out on dates with people cause I was petrified to eat in front of like in front of somebody. And that wasn't a way I wanted to live anymore. So there was definitely, it was, it was the injuries keep that were keeping me from doing what I loved. But more than that, it was just, my life felt like a hollow shell and I wanted to be able to fully engage um, with it again. So where did you turn? How did you, how did you find, how did you find the help that, that, <laughs> Google, you know, um, it's kind of a funny thing because I think that for anybody struggling with like, or wanting to seek therapy, wanting to seek treatment, it, there's not like a roadmap for it. I think a lot of people just like turn to Google, like 
eating disorder treatment near San Jose, you know, or like things Google like that. Google AdWords pop up and like whoever's spending money on it. Right. Yeah, it's like not necessarily the best. Or it's like, how do you even find, I remember like dabbling around and like trying to find therapists in the area and like who even takes insurance anymore. Yeah. And, and it wasn't, it wasn't super, um, you know, it wasn't super clear. And I actually, what, what turned me on, I went to Opal Food and Body in Seattle and, um, it was a runner, um, Hannah Fields, for, who last year came out um, about how she went into treatment at Opal and she ran for Brooks Beast. And that's how it kind of got on my radar. And then I started looking at programs like, oh, they have eating disorder programs that are like have like kind of an athlete focus and an athlete bent, which was new to me because when I first went through treatment 20 years ago, there was none of that. I mean, and it was like hospital style treatment yeah. when I was, when I was 15, 16, it wasn't what they have now. Um, but it did, it took several months of me kind of poking around and talking to places and figuring out what would be the best fit, um, to, to figure out where to turn. And I remember thinking when I spoke to Opal and they're like, yeah, and we want you, you know, it's a, it's a 10 hours a day, um, all your meals there, everything like that. I was like, I don't think I need that much, you know, I was like, <laughs> are you sure? Can I like start lower level? But I also knew myself that I needed, like I needed to go full in. Um, and then, and like, just, and just know that like a lot of it was like, I just, I needed to go the highest level that I could and then, you know, face all those and then kind of step down from that. What advice do you have for someone who might be struggling? I think number one, the first step is to, is, is to start reaching out, to start making phone calls. The, honestly, the hardest thing that I did was like the first phone call that I made and saying like, I'm, I think I, I need treatment. Um, and, and then, and then just put the wheels in motion. Um, and it gets easier as I found as like, as I started to tell more people and as I started to talk about it more. And luckily now it feels like in this past like year or two, there's been kind of this seismic shift in more and more people talking about mental health issues yes. and talking about taking care of yourself. And, and I love that. And so I think that you know, you don't have to, I tell everyone, I'm like, oh, I've aired my dirty laundry for like everyone in the <laughs> world to know. Um, and you don't have to do that. You know, there are people like you can do everything completely privately, but I do firmly believe that the more that you bring people in, even if it's just a sh few, you know, people around you to like help and support you, then that is so key because any type of mental illness is going to thrive in darkness. It's going to thrive in silence. And so when you like keep bringing that out, then it's much harder for that disorder to thrive. That's amazing. Do you feel like you have a responsibility to be public with things like this? I don't think it's necessarily responsibility. Um, but I do realize that I'm fortunate to have a platform and, um, and I know that so many people that, that struggle with mental illness, struggle with eating disorders. They have like, there are so many stories out there like mine, like so many. And, and the number of people that have reached out to me and I feel bad because I haven't responded to all of them. Um, but the number of people that reached out to me and like been like, I feel you, I've been there. This is my thing. I don't have the same platform that you have to blah, 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 blah. And so I understand that like I, I'm fortunate and that I can give voice to all of those stories and all of those people that are going through this and, and recognizing like, Hey, we're not, we're not alone in this at all. Totally. It's wild how many people are also going through something similar. Like I posted on mm -hmm. Instagram a few weeks ago, like a photo from my therapist's office Yeah, and I don't have nearly as large of an audience. I have like 6,000 followers and 50 people replied yeah. saying that they see a therapist too. That's 50 out of 6,000 that, I'm sure there's that way more than that. That, yeah. that to talk about it. Yeah. So I'm guessing that that number is, you know, astronomical compared and, you know, only 800 people see my story. So that's 50 out of 800, yeah. Yeah. which is probably 400 out of 800 yeah. that are actually doing it. And it's, it's so cool that like it's commonplace, but it's not being talked about or, or not right. yet. Well, and I think there's also this aspect to it that, 
a lot of people said like, oh, I always, I saw you as this kind of invincible, perfect person, Unicorn. you know, yeah, that like, you know, she could be your an attorney great. and yeah. she, her life looks amazing. And I'm like, no, yeah. no one's life is amazing. I deal like, with shit too. Yeah. yeah. And we all do. And that's the thing. And, and so, uh, and I, and I probably, I'm guilty of it too, is that I see other people and I'm like, oh, I think they have a perfect life and it seems like they have everything in order and blah, blah they have beautiful kids and a dog <laughs> and a loving husband. And I don't have any of that, you know, like underneath all of that, there's, there's yeah. always stuff. Um, and so for me, it was just really like, I finally feel like I am myself again. Um, because I think for a long time, I kind of took, took on a persona that I don't know if it was necessarily thrust upon me or I brought it upon myself, but didn't really resonate with me, um, and how I was feeling internally. And what was that persona? It was that idea of like, oh, the queen of pain. And yeah. like, you know, she's she's so badass and she can do hard things. And I always hated the word badass. <laughs> and and I'm like, no, like internally, like I'm breaking down. Like I am a, a miserable, miserable mess. And like, but everyone thinks like that it's just like super badass. No, that's not, that's not how I feel. I feel like this little six year old, like crying in a ball somewhere, you know? So, um, like reconciling those, that like internal feeling versus what was external facing was really hard for me. So 2016, 2017 was an interesting time for you and our friend Caroline Burkle <laughs> and myself. Yeah. And we went through like of different magnitudes, like shit. Yeah. And it was incredible to witness the ups and downs. And we, the three of us had some, some highs together and some lows together, again, at varying levels. Um, and I think the three of us found it therapeutic to like air it out on social media i know caroline was mm -hmm. was you know doing instagram stories every day <laughs> with like her diary like her self diary so um first who who is she how did you guys get connected let's <laughs> let's uh let the audience in yeah. on, on this so burkle caroline burkle is like my best friend for life um and we met actually at a mind body green conference in 2015 when i was speaking there um, and I think we were like the only two people that weren't like the, like big yoga people. <laughs> and so we're like, Oh, okay. Let's like <laughs> congregate together yeah. and like go for a run because I can't like do all these yoga poses that <laughs> all these other people can do. Um, but yeah, so she, I mean, she's an Olympic swimmer. Um, and, um, we just hit it off. And, um, I think that in very much, she has a very artsy brain and I'm a very logical person. <laughs> and so our brains operate in totally different ways, but it works really well. Um, and then, well, let's see. And then we met you at the North Face 50 in 2016. I think Was so. Was that yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. But we didn't really meet you. We <laughs> saw your socks and I was My like, favorite story ever. Taco socks. <laughs> And I had like known you, like I knew your name because of Inside Tracker, because of, because of Spartan and, but yeah, so it was just like this weird confluence and then Rest Day Brag started. And I think for me, it was very therapeutic, the idea that, cause I was really struggling at the time cause I was, it was injured and everyone around there is posting these amazing pictures of their like 20 mile runs and like, oh, my long days in the mountains and I was like, everyone is bragging about like kicking ass and doing all these hardcore things. Like, why don't we brag about taking rest? And I think that what we kind of created there was actually very, and it was, it was a lot of therapy for me. And actually I needed support in order to be able to take rest. And it sort of normalized it. Yeah. And you felt like, okay, I'm not alone. Like it's okay. And I think that for a lot of, if people aren't, you know, endurance athletes, then they're like, what I need motivation to get off the couch. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, but the, it's like, there's, we're all the weirdos that like rest days are really hard right. for us. I mean, and I so, love the people yeah. that like reply on Twitter, like, Oh my God, are you kidding me? I need, I need to like, 
I, I need to run. That's yeah. not my problem. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, and I get it. Like, yeah. and, I, and I, I totally get it. There is, it is a very, you know, it's a small minority of the population, but it's, it's more commonplace than we think. Right. There are people like, oh, no, no, like they go out of their minds on a rest day. And what's funny, I actually think is through that process, like rest days don't phase me at all anymore. Yeah. Or if like, and I have an like extra unplanned one because I'm traveling or like, it just doesn't get around to it. I'm like, meh. Life goes on. Life goes on, yeah. You know, I didn't get out of shape. Actually, I probably am in better shape now because I'm <laughs> right. actually absorbing all of my training. Right. <laughs> but yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, yeah, the taco sock story is my favorite. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like tacos bring people together. They do. They do. Anything can be a taco. What is it? I think I saw a show. It was like... If they just believe. If they just believe, <laughs> right. And, and then, um, yeah. So that was amazing. Um, and then that hashtag has been used over 5,000 times. That's incredible. It's, and I think, didn't we see it in a, so- was it a Saucony? It was a Saucony Something like yeah, that. Yeah, Saucony, Wazelle has used it. I know, I was um, like, God, I should have trademarked Yeah, that. and then the, the <laughs> corporate attorney here didn't advise us on the right thing. And we could have been making millions. <laughs> yeah, never, never had, planned on monetizing that. We could have had royalties every time the hashtag was used. You get a, we get a dollar. <laughs> I know. So, 2020. Um, yeah. let's, let's look ahead. What are, what is keeping you excited and fired up? There are so many things keeping me excited and fired up. It's funny. Cause I think every year I go and I'm like, okay, that was a crappy year this year. Going to be the best year ever. <laughs> and then it's like, and then it never goes as planned. Um, and I think that's like, that's a lesson in oh, itself, yeah. like deal with the shit and eventually Something else happened. Oh, absolutely. And I think like 2018, I remember the end of 2018, I was coming off of a metatarsal fracture and I was like, 2019 going to be <laughs> the best year, year ever. And then I broke my heel and <laughs> then I went to eating disorder treatment. Um, but I do have to say, if I look back on 2019, it, I, I will say it was hands down probably the best year that I've had in a long time for very different reasons. Um, Would Amelia of 2012 believe that this is who Amelia of 2019 is? Absolutely not. No, no. Because I think that I, at that point, I mean, at that point I was just like, win, 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 you know? And then I probably would think at this point I would have like walked away on top and then like never competing again. But I've realized, cause I, I told myself, I'm like, I don't want to be that person that still competes when I'm no longer like at top. Yeah. When, that was what I told myself when I was, you know, like 10 years ago. You know, like, I, I don't want to be that person, like, hanging on. And now I'm like, no, you know what? Mm-hmm. I, you know what I respect? People who will compete until they're 80, 90 years old just because they love to compete. And yeah. that's what I want to be, you know? And I'm like, that's, I don't... That's the goal. That's the goal. The goal is longevity. The goal is the fact that I am so excited to run, like, any and every race, or not even a race, just, like, experiences and and being out there in the woods and whatever that like that keeps me going. Like, and I don't, I've gotten to this point where like, I don't care about like, it, yes. I mean, I care about competing and I'd like to do well, but this is no longer going to define me. Um, and so it's really just that longevity and like, and figuring out how to do that. And I feel I'm hope optimistic and hopeful that I'm like in a good spot to be able to do that. Knock on wood. I don't have, <laughs> I only have glass around me. Um, Don't throw stones in this glass. I know, right? Um, So 2020 is like just kind of an, it's like an open book. I have to kind of figure out exactly where I want to go with it. Um, But clearly, I mean, right now it's, it's figuring out like, will I get back into Barclay when I apply to that? And then if not, there's tons of cool things that I can do. If I do, then that will be my focus, but we'll see. Normally I like to ask people, what do you wish you knew when you started running that you know today? But I feel like you've <laughs> covered that. I was like, I, yeah, yeah. A lot, have you been a listening? A lot of things. <laughs> I mean, yeah, my, that's been my entire past 10 years is, is that, is that, are those learning those lessons um, in a very public way? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So um, what are, what are some of the things that you wish people knew about you? interesting the funny thing is now i feel like i've told like everything like 
everyone knows everything about me. People <laughs> are like, I play piano or like something. <laughs> I know, I know. I was a fifth grade jump rope champion. I will actually. That's um, when the winning started. Oh, I know. Oh, I was a phenomenal jump roper. Um, I was that kid that would go in with like into the double dutch and I would take a pogo ball and a rope inside the double dutch. Um, I would like to say that that's why I had strong Achilles. Um, knock on wood. Now I'm going to like injure my Achilles. Watch. I just totally jinx myself. Um, <laughs> we can edit that part out. Nobody will ever hear it. I know. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like I have been, I've gotten to a point where I just like blather everything about my life. So I feel like everybody kind of knows everything about me. <laughs> cool. Um, let's talk about balance. You have, What's that? yeah, exactly. Uh, you have a full-time job, mm-hmm. you're a full-time athlete. Um, you've talked a lot about the challenges of yeah. both and how you learn that you, you know, can't push as hard as other athletes that don't have full-time jobs yeah. or, or desk jobs. Yeah. How do you rectify that? How do you, you know, there are a lot of people that listen to this podcast that train hard and have full-time jobs. Um, I know we talked a bit in the past about some of the, like the tips you have around that. Um, let's hear that. Yeah. I think what was hard for me when I first started all this, I thought I'm like, Oh, I have the perfect setup because like I have a desk job so I can like run really hard and then I'm just recovering yeah. all day <laughs> as I'm like not doing anything. And With then an easy law job. It's an easy law job. But then what I realized is actually that is the worst formula ever is like you train super hard in the mornings and then you sit really hard the rest of the day and like then your body just feels awful. Um, and so, you know, there are things that you can do like the sit stand desk and whatnot, but I've just kind of realized that as we've talked about it and you've talked about it, like stress is stress is stress. And so whether it's emotional stress, whether it's stress from your job, whether it's mental stress, it all adds up. Um, and so like, I've come to terms with the fact, like, I'm not going to be a hundred mile a week person. You know, my, my body probably isn't durable enough for that. Um, as much as I would love to be out in the mountains doing that all the time, it's just not feasible with my work. It's not feasible with my like physical, probably composition in terms of the durability right now. Um, and I think that's okay. I think that people, you know, that 99% of us out there are weekend warriors and I am a weekend warrior along with everyone else. And you have to recognize that you can't necessarily train like a professional athlete because you're not doing all the little things that they're doing every single day to keep themselves healthy and ready to go for their two a days and things like that. Um, but in all honesty, I've kind of gotten to the point where it doesn't really phase me anymore that I'm like, Oh, I'm not, I can't train like that. That's cool. It's just an extra little wrinkle and challenge. And like, how can I fit this all in? And like, I was talking about how races to me are puzzles. That's the same thing with being a, you know, working full time and then doing the athlete portion is like a fun little puzzle to make fit. Awesome. Morning gratitude. Yeah. How did that come about? So morning gratitude, actually, um, I have to shout out to Matt Davis, um, who's the host of Obstacle Racing Media. Um, and he started it, he and his wife, um, about a little over a year ago. Um, and they just started an Instagram account that was morning gratitude. It was 10 things a day that you are grateful for. And I remember it was around Thanksgiving of last year, and I was in a really rough spot. I had a metatarsal that wasn't healing was miserable. And so I just, I started, I told myself, I'm like, every morning I'm going to do this. And 10 things a day is actually really difficult. (laughs) Yeah, because you get the like family and health and this and that. And like, that's day one. Right. And then you're like, oh wait, and then I'm doing this. And it's, what's funny is the number of people that reach out to me and they're like, is it okay? Is it okay if I only do three things a day or can I do it in the evenings? I'm like, don't, you can't do gratitude wrong. Like (laughs) pick what works for you. Like if you look at Burko's gratitude, sometimes she like draws pictures, you know? (laughs) I mean, that's just how her brain works. Um, but it has been a really good practice for me. And I, and I repeat a lot of things, but I tell myself, I look back over my past 24 hours and I go in these past 24 hours, like, what am I super thankful for? Like in this morning, it was like, you know, um, being able to run with like so many folks that are like being able to put names to faces that like I've 
that I've like don't know in real life and you meet everybody here at TRE and then you're like, Oh, yay. Or, or making good associations with a place that I previously had negative associations with. So it's, it's those little things that I just kind of like keep stock of. Um, and I think your best social media post ever came as a result of <laughs> morning gratitude because you only write it on one side of the oh page. My God. <laughs> Yes. And and so I want to ask about trolls. <laughs> so trolls are my favorite. So first, so so Amelia writes her morning gratitude on one piece of paper in a in a notebook and somebody commented saying, you know, you're killing the environment. Oh, and it wasn't just some it was like I and that's what people are like this is an overreaction to one person commenting. I go, "No, I got probably at least 50 messages <laughs> from people telling me that I was killing the environment." And the funny thing is is all these notebooks that I use are like freebies that I get from conferences, you know, and <laughs> so, so I'm like, be, it's not right. You're and not I'm buying like, them. I'm not buying them. And paper is recyclable people. <laughs> it is by definition, a sustainable resource. Um, you should be doing it on your iPhone and notepad. So, and, and that's, and what I've learned through social, 99% of people on social media are amazing. And I've had, I mean, we met through social media yeah. and it's, and it's an amazing tool and you, but the downside is you are going to get people that are going to pick apart whatever you do. Um, and so and then I decided to troll my, my trolls, <laughs> which is not easy for me because I do like being a nice person, but it was a nice, fun little 24 hours. Um, I saw this and, and by the second, by the first post, I thought you were serious. And by the second one, I was like, oh, she's good. And by the fifth one, I was like, oh, damn, this is hilarious. <laughs> So what what were you talking about? What were you saying? Oh, I just decided that everything. So for instance, I was washing my wetsuits after World's Toughest <laughs> Mudder. And so I was like, but don't worry, people. I use a biodegradable soap. And then I'm going to save the dirt to make a facial mask. Um, you know, and then like, and you were, like, you were about to fly home, but was, you decided to right. ditch the, the plane. I was going to bike home, um, <laughs> from San Jose to Portland, but it was okay. I was going to miss Thanksgiving, but I was going to be there in time for Christmas. Um, so you keep things lighthearted, you know, and that's, that's some, that is, I actually do have a very, maybe this is some people don't, I do have a very sarcastic and biting personality. Um, and I'm afraid to let it out sometimes there's no sarcasm font on instagram i know That's and i'm afraid to let it out sometimes because i'm afraid people will think that i'm like mean or cruel or not and i'm like no i just <laughs> sometimes i just like being a dick we get it like, sometimes on twitter way. though yeah twitter i actually I get to do it way more on twitter and i don't know why it's funny how i have different personalities on so different so a quote that i attribute to you and conf- you can uh, hopefully you can confirm that it's actually you that says it is um no matter what 10 percent pe- of people will disagree with you mm-hmm. and as your audience grows that 10 percent stays 10 percent, but it right. gets bigger mm-hmm. was that you that said that i did not say that oh, okay. uh, but well I a mean, lot I- of people think you did that's <laughs> sorry <laughs> That's amazing. I think I probably stole from somebody else. Um, I actually think I, yeah. Um, but I mean, it was, it was something that I heard somewhere. Um, and so it's very much understanding that you can't, and you're not going to please everyone, but it is our human nature that we're going to fixate on, on those few negative voices there. You know, I remember the first time I heard somebody be like, talk about how, I'm awful to listen to on podcasts because I have a vocal fry and I didn't even know what a vocal fry was. What is a vocal fry? It's like the, Oh my God, Valley girl, (laughs) you know, and it's like, I guess I had to look it up. Flamingo suit. Right. Or it's like, I can't believe like that trail (laughs) off. And I go, I, I didn't even know that was a thing. And then, and then you're going to become super self-conscious of it. And I'm like, Oh my God, I can't listen to myself talk. But yeah, I mean, it's understanding that I'm not going to be perfect at everything. Um, and I think that's that grace. Yeah. But it's, I, it's, it's a work in progress for me. Cause I still will see, um, a few months ago, somebody commented on a picture and was like, you're chubby. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you are saying that to a girl who just got out of eating disorder treatment. Like really, you <laughs> Do know, you have a soul. And then, and I wanted to be like, I wanted to be like, and that didn't phase me at all, but it did in the back of my mind. So I'm still working on it. Yeah. Um, so you've done all these incredible things. You run through the night. You do, you know, wild obstacles, jumping into cold, icy things. You <laughs> really don't stupid have things. <laughs> toenails. You get you electrocuted. Jump yes, fire, yes. You know, burpees in the mud. 
What are you scared of? Hmm. Fish. Fish. Um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> fish. I actually, I do. And fear nuts. Fish. fish and, well, nuts will kill me. Fish could kill me too. Um, no, um, I, I have a fish phobia. Um, like, like salmon and tuna and like. Oh, just any like aquariums, fish tanks oh, are so my like worst the little, nightmare. Like, oh, okay. little ones. Or a big one. The little one's not so bad, but like going to Hawaii. Like to a snor- koi pond. Oh God, no, 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 no. Or like, <laughs> I don't, people are like, let's go snorkeling in Hawaii. I'm like, hard pass. <laughs> that Where that's your goal is to see the fish. My goal is to not see the fish. Um, so I do have a fear of fish. But on a more serious note, I think that I've always, one of my things is like, I've, always had a fear and i think this is very true of many people is is loneliness um and is being alone and i think for a very long time i was like oh god okay i'm like 36 years old if i don't have a partner for the rest of my life i'm gonna be alone what i've realized actually in the past few years like i'm actually never afraid of being alone because like there is such a community out there and like regardless of like it doesn't have to be in a traditional like partner scenario that we think of or whatnot like but like I'm all about like when we're all seven years old and like a bunch of like outdoorsy folk, like, you know, just starting a big commune together and like, let's all hang out and like live in this big house and like, I'll go run these trails together. Where's the house? Oh God. Name your name. That's your, that's your million dollar question. I know. There's so many places. I want a house in Utah. I want a house in Colorado. I want a house in Tahoe, like everywhere. But so it'll have to be a timeshare. Yeah, though timeshares are awful investments. Don't ever do those. <laughs> I haven't done one, but I've heard. But it's a timeshare with friends. So everybody has everybody yeah. has a house in a different place and then you just trade. Right. And trade then we just places. like roll around, you know. So I want to talk about the sponsored athlete yeah. part of it. Um, do you have a full-time job mm-hmm. and you work with a bunch of brands? Not a bunch. A handful of brands. A fair number of brands. A fair number of brands. Because I, I like the people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so fun. it's, you know, business is personal. Um, how do you how do you do that while staying authentic to yourself, while getting the products and services that you need? And I know we've talked a lot about like Black yeah. Friday and, yeah. you know, you know, staying true to what you use and believe in and, and you don't want to be a billboard and things like that. So how do you go about social media from the point of you know, not being a salesperson, but needing to represent brands that are supporting you. Yeah. This is like, this is my million dollar question. This is something that I wrestle with all the time because I do, I work with great brands. Um, and they, you know, and and you, they provide support for me. And so you think like in response, like you provide support for them. And over the past few years and with social media, it seems I always wonder like what were athlete sponsor obligations before social media to win. Yeah. (laughs) There was no, it was no like post about our sale or like things. I mean, there was nothing like that. So it's tough because I love these brands. I use them. I support them. They support me, but I also, you can spot a sponsored post by a thousand miles away. And I just, I think people see through that, you know, and it's like, okay, great. That athlete needs to throw that up there right now. So for me, it's been great. My, I always approach brands with a very like, and maybe this helps because I'm an attorney and I tell them, this is what I will do. And this is what I will not do. You know, I'm not going to put in a contract that I'm going to post X number of times for you in doing this. I'm just not, I'm not comfortable for that. It's like, so how can we think of a way, how can we work together in a creative way where I can, we can support each other, but it's not necessarily me just like, here's a picture of me in a tub of protein powder, (laughs) you know, um, and doing something in that regard. And it's still something that I'm trying to like work through and, and figure out. And I think that every athlete just kind of needs to ask like, what is their tolerance for that? And if right. you're totally cool, like, you know, posting X number of times on social media f- per month for the brand, great. You do you. If that feels inauthentic to you, then come up with other ways. You know, I've talked to, um, with Beat Elite that I work with, you know, it's like, okay, we're, we're going to do some like TV spots or we're going to make videos that are then can be like pushed through Facebook and whatnot. Um, so it's not necessarily like me feeling like a salesperson. So that's my biggest thing is that I think athletes need to understand that they have 
they have more power than you think. Like, and don't just bend over because a brand says, this is how we do it. You either A, need to find a different brand to work with, or B, need to push back and be like, is there a is there a better way that we can think about this? You know, is there an alternative? Can I, I like to write, can I write a blog post for you? Um, and things along those lines. Cool. Yeah. I asked Jesse Thomas the same question and he was yeah. like, look, I'm like a main marketing driver of picky bars. Like, yeah. I have to post and I have to get creative because people will stop following me if I just post about picky bars all the time. Right. So he's like, I got to get creative. Like I ran, I ran a 5k as a barosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and that's, that's a deflated barosaurus. A deflated barosaurus. <laughs> a fast deflated barosaurus. I know. I couldn't. I that was my full. Re- Actually, that was my reason for not running the five k this morning. You didn't want to lose to I barosaurus. I didn't want to lose to a guy in a dinosaur costume. <laughs> it wasn't the wrath of of David. It was <laughs> no. It wasn't being scared of my coach being like, "You ran a what?" It was, you didn't want to lose to a deflated barosaurus with yep. some weird legs. Yes. Pretty much. Yeah. So he was saying like, you got to get creative and do stuff like yeah. that. And he, he said he, you know, ran in a picky bars outfit up, you know, for a KOM and stuff like that. And I think that, um, you know, two or three years ago, like putting up a blog, putting up a, an Instagram with like, hey, this is the best thing ever, like worked. Yeah. But now we're beyond that. Yeah. And people see through that. And I think that if anything, you know, I, I would, my challenge to brands is to realize that people... I always say when I decide to work with a company, I have like a good people test is that I'm like, you know, it's, it's mainly about like, are these, like, are these people, people that I'd like want to hang out with that I trust and believe in and that I use their products. And so it's building that trust that then other people that see you as an athlete, like you don't have to be constantly pushing it in their face, but if just even the association, you know, it's like, oh, well, I like that athlete. That athlete works with that brand. I trust that athlete that that's a good brand, you know? And I think that that's the best kind of like symbiotic type of relationship. For sure. So speaking of social media, where can we find you on social media? Everywhere. Everywhere. Um, yeah. Instagram, ARBoon11, because I got an Instagram late and Amelia Boone was taken. <laughs> Have you ever tried offering something to Amelia, no, at I- Amelia Boone? You know, I don't even know. I should check to see. I think it's like an inactive handle almost. It's at a this shame point. you can't like claim, dethrone. Well, and so now Twitter is apparently going to go through and get rid of old inactive handles. And so I wonder maybe Instagram will do the same thing at some point. Um, but now I'm like, would that be weird if I change my handle at this point? But it would be easier because people are like AR Boone 11. I'm like, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. Uh, Twitter, I am at Amelia Boone. I did get on Twitter early. Um, and then I have a website, ameliaboonracing.com that I still need to update, but you know, <laughs> and your blog on there is great. <laughs> Thank so you. People should definitely check that out. I have a lot more blogs coming cause it's kind of off season. So I have a lot of more time to write. <laughs> awesome. Well, Amelia, thank you so much for joining in. Yeah. I'm glad we could finally make this happen. And yeah, absolutely. I won't see you in California soon. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.